Um, I started experiencing abuse when I was five and I'm a child. I don't, I don't know better. I don't know, like, is that what love is supposed to be, you know? So my innocence was really ripped for me really young. I had to grow up really fast and, you know, seeing the abuse that my mom was dealing with. On top of all of that, you know, my mom, she had cancer while we were living in those situations. Hello and welcome to another episode of Bunny Hugs Mental Health. I am your host, Todd Rennebaum. I've got another wonderful, wonderful episode for you this week. I'm speaking with the, the charming and the amazing and the gorgeous Ashley Collingbowl. She is a former Miss Universe and a former Miss Canada. She's the very first ever Indigenous woman to be titled Miss Canada. That was in 2010. She's also the very first ever Indigenous woman to be in Sports Illustrated. She's a trailblazer. It's amazing. However, she did grow up with abuse, poverty. She grew up in a reservation in Alberta. And because of that, she had some mental health issues when she was uh, a young adult. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, She's got a new book coming out in 2024, I believe. She's got all types of projects and stuff, and she talks about that later in the episode. Uh, But first, I'd like to talk about next week's episode, and that is going to be with Big Daddy Taz. Uh, Now in January, I think it was January 13th, he and I did a little presentation thing in front of about 300 students. And uh, that's that's what the episode is. Uh, I it's kind of a an interview slash presentation for the children. Uh, I shouldn't say children; they're young adults. They were high school kids, so it's a bit of a different episode. Uh, I, I maybe I'll do more live ones. Uh, so so that would be really cool. And the week after that, I'm going to be speaking with Jane, who is uh, kind of a trailblazer herself. She's a pioneer in the affliction called maladaptive daydreaming. It's basically an addiction to daydreaming um and it's it's pretty intense so uh look forward to that episode coming up soon too uh and i've got uh, like four or five other episodes already recorded and I've, i just keep talking to more and more people i got more lined up and just more and more wonderful guests all the time uh and you know I, we're i'm hoping to make a difference uh speaking to all these people they that's why they come onto this podcast is is to help others and to have others relate, to not feel alone, and and just just normalize speaking about mental health issues and to to try to eradicate the stigma. So, if you could please tell three or four friends this week, hey, I know this really great podcast that you might like, or a parent of someone who's maybe suffering from something, so they can understand and relate. And uh, you know what I'm saying. Um, so yeah, please share, put it on your social media. Put your favorite episode of the podcast thus far and share it on on social media and say, hey, this is a great episode. Take a listen. Uh, That'd be really, really appreciated. But anyway, back to Ashley Collingbull. Another thing Ashley and I talk about is race and racism. And um, I I, I got awkward at times, I think. I I sound when I was editing the other day, I was like, I sound like a rambling moron. If you notice that, then don't worry, I did too. (laughs) Without further ado, I give you... Ashley. My name is Ashley Collingwell. I am a Cree woman from Enoch Cree Nation in Alberta, which is Treaty 6 territory. I feel like, you know, I'm a woman that wears many hats. I try to chase as many dreams as possible. And I think a lot of that stems from the way that I grew up. And the majority of like my life growing up, I was able to grow up with my grandparents, but I also grew up through poverty and living in a different place completely and living through abuse. And that kind of like really pushed me to not want to have to live that life again. And, you know, I felt like I got a second chance when I escaped. So my culture really saved my life. You know, my culture was my strength for everything that I chased. And I realized like one of the most important things about, you know, chasing all these big dreams and like setting these I guess, um, goals for myself was I had to realize that it was important to step out of my comfort zone to like realize what I'm made of and to actually see what I'm capable of. And after that, you know, after I realized that, you know, I'm capable of anything, I'm like, well, why not? And now when I like chase these things and, you know, I'm an actress, a model and a motivational speaker, and I'm also a sports host. So I'm a host for the Edmonton Elks and I'm like for the 
Edmonton Oilers uh, for the Saskatchewan Rush and, you know, acting as a huge part of my life and um, pageantry was a part of my life, retired now. I uh, was Miss Canada, the first Indigenous woman to become Miss Canada, and then I won Mrs. Universe. So it was, um, you know, a big history moment for me, like making history. But now with all the work that I do, I think it's just so important to like open the door for the next Indigenous person to walk through because every place that I'm in, I'm really like trying to take up as much space as possible just to give that proper Indigenous representation. And I've had to fight really hard to be in all these different spaces, especially, um, you know, being an Indigenous woman and being a woman in general. A lot of people told me I don't belong in these spaces and don't belong to be doing these things. So I feel like I'm not trying to prove everyone wrong. I'm just trying to uh, make myself happy, <laughs> chase my biggest dreams, you know? <laughs> So who, who told you you didn't belong? Was it like agents and things or? Uh... Um, pretty much everybody. <laughs> like in school, um, you know, my first experience of racism was going to a school that was in a small town. And um, there was only a handful of natives there. I was told I don't belong. And that's obviously like learned behavior from their parents. And, you know, even in modeling other models or other agencies or people telling me that I don't fit the mold. I don't fit what beautiful is. And obviously, cause I'm this, my skin color, my background, a lot of people question, and it's kind of crazy that they even question in pageantry. I experienced that my first time as well. I experienced racism, like at a whole new level, not just from the girls, but from the media in 2010, a Toronto newspaper wrote about me because I was competing. They wrote, there's an indigenous woman competing this year. And they made a joke. They wrote, I wonder what she's going to do for her town. Is she going to chug Lysol or sign welfare checks with her toes? Whoa, and that whoa, was whoa, wait, cringy. what? Yeah. A newspaper wrote that. Yeah. And they obviously retracted it after the fact, but they were like, it's just a joke. And they printed my picture next to it. And you know how like humiliating that was? Um, and then having all the girls see that and they instantly associated me with that. I got made fun of and I was thinking like, this is an environment where there should be sisterhood and we should be like empowering and uplifting each other regardless of competition if we're here for good reasons. But um, at my pageant, I remember I was feeling pretty alone and um, it was crazy when I thought I was most alone in the crowd um when they were asking like who do you think should win and people were chanting names people were chanting my name but then i started hearing drums like hand drums and women trilling and i thought i was going crazy because i'm like what you can't really see anything because of the lights but when i kind of like squinted harder and looked and i noticed so many native people came from all over ontario and i'm not a native from ontario but i got support from you know my people and they showed up for me and then I realized, you know, I wasn't alone and that really like lit a fire in my ass and I felt proud to be there and I stood even taller, you know, and I kept my chin up and, you know, and that was the first time I made history and then I became mm. Miss Canada and it was just like wild. It was like always a wild roller coaster, even in school, you know, guys telling me I don't belong or whatever, or teachers doubting on me or thinking because of where I come from that I won't succeed and they don't really, push me or want to help me you know I'm kind of like a nuisance but yeah every aspect of my life um people have told me I don't belong for sure and I'm just kind of like eh I belong wherever I want to belong <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. I ain't no shit from nobody <laughs> do you think things have changed in the last oh I'll say five years with some of the uh some of that attitude and thought um because of people like yourself and more representation. And I see, I see a lot of more indigenous stuff, like in these fashion and stuff. Five years or mm -hmm. five years after the fact, <laughs> like these last five years, I would say a lot has definitely changed. Mm -hmm. We can definitely use a lot more representation, but we do have more now, more, um, I guess, more indigenous talent that people haven't seen before, whether that's in acting, modeling, sports, whatever. And even like in different professions, like there's doctors, lawyers, you know, and I feel like a lot of people just stereotype us instantly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, even if I'm as successful as I am, I still get treated bad, <laughs> like in certain areas, you know, like it's just, it sucks to say that it's normal. Like, you know, getting followed around at the grocery store 
because I know it's because of my skin color. They're not following anyone else around and that makes me uncomfortable. And I'm like, you think I'm going to really steal, you know, and even at the mall. So sometimes, and even I've still. tested it. Yeah. And I've tested this theory. Um, if I'm not like this for me, I feel like I'm dressed up right now for this <laughs> and I don't dress I up that. like Thank this. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Um, and I don't dress up like this normally. I usually just kind of wear like a hoodie and sweats and like throw my hair in like a messy bun or a ponytail. I don't like get all glammed up and do all the makeup. But if I go out to town like that or go to the mall and I'm just, you know, living my life like everyone else, I'll get followed or harassed or treated differently. But then if I show up and I wear like my nicest clothes and I make sure that I look presentable and I'm not stereotyped by looking at me, I get treated completely different. Like almost like I'm a regular human being and it sucks that like I have to do that and I shouldn't have to, you know, but it happens a lot and it doesn't matter like where I go, like racism is alive and well in the world, but it's just really how I deal with it. I don't let it get the best of me. For me, I have to think like these people are just extremely ignorant and have like this learned behavior. And I realize, you know, I can't argue with stupid, (laughs) like you can't, you can't. And it's hard to like change people's opinions. I mean, you can educate them, but that's also not my place to make sure that you're educated on how to be a good human. <laughs> you know, like I can, I can suggest resources and like things like that for how to help be an ally for indigenous people, how to give back, how to learn and understand and educate yourself. But I can't be the one to, you know, make magic happen and make you realize and educate yourself, you know? So for me, I, I just react with kindness, you know, I'm with kindness. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm just like, I try to be kind, you know, or sometimes if it's really funny to me and this happened where I'm walking down the aisle and I know someone's following me, I'll just kind of like speed up my run a little bit and like run around the corner. And then I know they're following me because they're coming right up and then I'll stand there like, can I help you with something? (laughs) So it's just like, I kind of laugh at it, but obviously it's not okay. Like I still deal with this regardless. And it sucks because it almost feels like pretty woman vibes when I walk in, you know, like Mm -hmm. it's too expensive for you. Or what are you doing here? We can't serve you. Big mistake. Big. Yeah. Big mistake. Huge. I'm buying my bread and milk somewhere else. (laughs) (laughs) They work on commission in the grocery store. (laughs) I can't believe it. I mean, this is something... And like I've heard a lot of people say, um, you know, there's no such thing as white privilege. Like, sorry, <laughs> like I have never been followed in the grocery store. And it's harder too, because like my husband, he'll sometimes like we'll both be followed, but no one will ever say anything to his face. And people will like talk down to me or be rude. And like, I know it's racism. They'll do it to me. Mm-hmm. but never to him. And I think it's a hundred percent because he's a man, <laughs> you know, we had this discussion, like he won't ever be talked to or treated that way. He'll be followed and whatnot, but no one will say anything to his face, but they'll Is say he, things to me. He's indigenous as well. Yes. Okay. And I think men kind of like have that advantage. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah, that's the other thing is like, so I grew up in Saskatchewan. I grew up probably in the very similar kind of, vibe you did and I remember uh and like I'm 45 years old I'm not sure how old you are so I mean I mean there's still some old school racism around here and I heard a lot of stuff growing up and it was like um native men were intimidating so it's like you just yeah if you are going to follow them you do it very not (laughs) confrontationally (laughs) like you do a a a female you know and Mm -hmm. it's and it's yeah it's yeah, I, I, I have it easier for some things. <laughs> I mean, yeah. a lot of things. <laughs> I'm like trying to think, when do we have it easier? Yeah. So w- why did you grow up with your grandparents? Um, well, I grew up with my grandparents. My mom, she was a single mother. So I was about five years old. I lived in Enoch on their res. And, you know, my grandparents, they're medicine man and medicine woman. So that's like the lifestyle that I was brought up in. And then we moved away. It was just one of those situations where we were going to go live with her boyfriend. And um, it sucks because uh, he was seen as like a leader in his community. And 
a role model. And um, it was just one of those terrible situations where I guess underneath it all, he's a monster and mm. people are too scared to like come forward. So we weren't like the only ones who lived through that with him, but it sucks. That took up the majority of my childhood. Um, I started experiencing abuse when I was five and I'm a child. I don't, I don't know better. I don't know, like, is that what love is supposed to be, you know? So my innocence was really ripped for me really young. I had to grow up really fast. And, you know, seeing the abuse that my mom was dealing with also made me kind of live in fear, really, not wanting to say anything that's happening to me as well. On top of all of that, you know, my mom, she had cancer while we were living in those situations. Um, she was thrown down the stairs by him. She was almost paraplegic. There were so many bad things that happened. And because of money was tight, you know, me and my mom would be walking around outside picking bottles and cans. And that was like our source of money for food. And it got bad to the point where you know, my mom was counting how many pierogies a night I would eat and my mom wouldn't eat. So she made a lot of sacrifices for me. And a lot of people are really quick to judge. They they always say like, well, why didn't you guys just get up and leave? Why didn't you just go? Mm -hmm. And it's not easy when someone is literally in control of your life. You're living in fear. Um, and it's scary because I've seen him hold like a knife up to my mom's throat and that's not normal, you know? So you're walking on eggshells and I was pretty much like brainwashed to, um, I don't know, survive, <laughs> you know, like mm -hmm. not say anything and, um, not do anything wrong. So I wouldn't get hit. But, you know, my mom didn't realize everything until after I told her the day we escaped. Um, it was hard because he was so controlling with everything and his family was so controlling. They kept eyes on us all the time. And the one day that he was gone, my mom's cousin, my cousin too, she just like came, we packed up a few of our things and we just up and left and I couldn't believe it. And then I remember when we got to my grandparents' house, my mom was explaining that we were never going back and. I felt like I had to tell her, you know, because mm. I told her I was really scared that he was going to kill us. And, and then I told her why. And she just, she broke down. And um, I remember her saying something and it just really like hurt. And she just said like, you know, I feel like I failed as a mother. She said, I'm so sorry. And, you know, that hurt because I know she didn't fail. Like she tried as hard as she possibly could and didn't know, but after that, I I felt like I had to still go through hell. Um, I had to learn how to heal myself, love myself. You know, it wasn't over then. I had to go to court at like a young age as a young woman. I think I was about 11 or 12 when I was in court and I had to testify and, you know, repeat everything in extreme detail, like what happened. And, you know, he's there, his mm. family's there they're God. laughing at me and that made me feel so small you know that made me feel like absolute crap and then I remember getting off the stand and I was telling myself like I'm never going to speak out loud ever again you know I felt humiliated um like <sighs> it's just not normal and after that I remember the judge was just saying that I had a lot of um mental health issues was suicidal like I had a lot of rage and she highly recommended and well, more than that, highly recommended. She made it that I go see a therapist and I probably went to about like four or five different therapists each time I was freaking out or yelling, wanting to throw something. And I remember they would just keep asking me, you know, how do you feel or this and that? And I'd be like, just tell me how to be happy. Hmm. You know, tell me how to let go. And those were answers that I couldn't get. And when I went home, my cook on my grandmother, she told me that my healing was here at home and she explained it. She said that, you know, our strength is, you know, our therapy is our sweat lodge, our ceremony. She's like, that's how our people heal and that's how they find strength. And she told me the one really important thing that's definitely saved my life was that she told me to walk the red road because, you know, my grandparents were residential school survivors and They've been through a lot after that. And there's just so much intergenerational trauma. Like what happened to me was intergenerational trauma because 
I only know about this later on in life, but my abuser that abused me was abused by his parents mm-hmm. and they were abused in residential school. So what they experienced, they inflicted on him and then inflicted on me. But then it's just up to me to stop like this problem, you know, stop this trauma. And it was hard to like take that in, but um yeah, I had to realize that, you know, my cook said I needed to stay on the red road. And she said, what that means is that you um, stay away from drugs and alcohol. And a lot of people that deal with intergenerational trauma are dealing with, you know, addictions and are living, you know, on the streets and have a lot of mental health issues. My cook said, you know, that's not what I want for you. She's like a lot of people who have dealt with these problems or dealt with this pain um, have dealt with abuse, have dealt with addictions. They, you know, they'll turn to more drugs and alcohol to numb everything. So you won't feel. And she said for indigenous people, when you put those toxins into your body, it disconnects your spirit from your body more and more so. And because of that, you get lost and you start to make bad decisions and you lose yourself. And I never wanted to like lose that connection. I thought that would be it for me. If, you know, I lost myself and I thought this is like my second chance at life. I'm going to, you know, make something of myself. And my abuser always told me, you know, I was worthless. Like I would never amount to anything. And, you know, it was like really right there lodged in my brain that I was never going to amount to anything, but going into sweat, going into ceremony, like even crying in sweat, singing, whatever I needed to do, it helped. And I realized that I needed to surround myself with people that wanted to uplift me. And I've never really been around people like that because just the environment I was in. And um, my grandmother taught me that you are who you hang with. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. I learned that in high school. I, because of her, I pushed myself in school. I pushed myself like in everything. And I never let like drugs and alcohol stop me. And just because of this lifestyle, I feel like I've hung around better people and I've changed, like I've grown. And, you know, a lot of people ask me now what happened to me and how I grew up. They're like, would you change it? I'm like, well, obviously I can't, but the one thing I can change is not letting it define me, you know, not letting it, I guess, define who I am and not letting it carry a burden on me or a pain. Like, I feel like people that are, you know, domestic abuse survivors or people that have dealt with any type of abuse in the home. I feel like a lot of us, um, in order to really move forward, we um, kind of have to just really let go because it's our past. It doesn't control us anymore. And one thing I told myself is that I don't live there anymore. I don't live in the past. I live in the future. And that's why I make so many plans for myself. And I get excited because I get to create my own future now. I'm not in a place where I feel like I have no dreams. Now I'm like, I can make the dream possible for myself and for other people. So that's why I like to do a lot of giving back because of what I went through. And, you know, a lot of the work I do and everything I do stems from who I was. But now it's about like who I'm going to become. Hmm. Well, I'm so happy that you had such an amazing grandmother and woman and a wise lady. Um, So I don't want to make this about me, but (laughs) I'm six years sober and I've gone through the ringer too. And I feel like I've kind of, I've healed generations behind me too. And it's, you know, obviously we're completely different cultures, completely different reasons what our, and what our traumas were and stuff. But, but it, it, it is like this heavy burden. Like once you start going on the road of recovery and healing, um, it's like, you know what, I, I'm not just doing this for me and my kids, but it's, I feel like I'm healing generations of trauma. Um, did your abuser then get convicted? <sighs> it was Uh-oh. a slap on the wrist. Oh, oh God. Can't work with kids anymore and whatnot. Hmm. But other women came up to us after and they said, we're too scared, but thank you for saying something in that hurt because you know they were they know what was happening but those are women that can't leave that community so right that i understand but as a young girl i didn't understand yeah Yeah. um 
I actually ended up working in addictions um, after I got sober. And, you know, I, I worked with, I mean, the there was a lot of Indigenous people in treatment, more so, you know, I mean, like, I'd say 30% of the clients were Indigenous, whereas the general population is lots, I don't, I don't know what the general population, what is it, what percentage do you think is Indigenous in the prairies? 10%? I don't know. I don't know. They seemed overrepresented. <laughs> I'm like, there's a lot of reserves. I, think <laughs> I guess. <laughs> they, they seem over, overrepresented, you know, just like prisons are and stuff. Like there was a lot. Um, and it seemed like the the, the folks that really uh, embraced their culture um, and 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 that they, they're the ones that healed quicker and got sober fast. You know, I mean, like there was it was a, an easier path for them. For, for healing, uh, which yeah. is, uh, yeah, it's so messed up, man. It's, and then the world doesn't understand they, when they hear Canada, they think of this wonderful, glorious place. And it's like, no, 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 we gotta, ugh, we have a yucky history and we're still dealing with it. And we're trying to, yeah, it's, and it's, it's bad. Hard like some people are just honestly learning about it for the first time or you, if they, in Canada? they don't believe believe it yeah yeah it's crazy to think a lot of people a lot of canadians are like no way no way that can be my canada can't be that bad and they just try to dismiss it or they say things like well let it go that was so long ago i'm like well the last residential school closed in 1996 and i was eligible to go so that was labrette who was just down the road for me yeah so um i don't understand how that wasn't that long ago especially like the trauma still there well, yeah, generational trauma takes generations to get to heal. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah. It's I, I think, I think the younger generation are understanding better than like yeah. boomers. No offense to boomers that are listening, or any you know, some of you do understand and stuff. But um, yeah, I, I don't want to call any particular generation racist or anything. But um, I think we're just better educated now. And I think like the uh, I did a. Um, Oh my God, the blanket ceremony at, at, I used to work at Globe Theater and uh, we did a blanket ceremony and, you know, I thought, I was like, I grew up in a town called Indian Head and all this stuff. I thought I knew stuff. And then you, you go through that ceremony and it's like, oh, oh it's heartbreaking. Oh, that's so emotional. Um, I did one of those for, there was like a big school event and then there was a bunch of people there, teachers that came from all over. And when we did it, it was just a lot of people were breaking down and they couldn't I guess grasp it and it felt so heavy but then there was that understanding right like what you said there was just a lot more to take in mm-hmm. um do you know terrence little tent that sounds really familiar for some reason he's like everyone sounds really familiar <laughs> he's like a world famous dancer uh oh is he a he does the hoop dancer dancer and a hoop dancer yeah 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 okay yeah, he's a really good speaker, and I we're kind of buddies and stuff. And anyway, sorry, I I was just diagnosed with ADHD, which makes a lot of sense with my looking back at life. It's like, oh, that's okay. what my husband says I have, just because I'm like literally all over the place with <laughs> thoughts, and then I'll say something. He's like, where did that come from? He's like, how many conversations are you having in your head right now? <laughs> okay, so you get it. So yeah. Um. Oh, you were also weren't you another kind of big thing you were the first indigenous woman on oh, sports illustrated yes yes on the cover um, no not yet um like but like i'm the first indigenous like model for them ever and to be featured in the magazine so that's pretty major i was like this is pretty awesome never would have thought like obviously it's had all the biggest supermodels like i can think of and in my mind like I'm working out and then, you know, finally get, I get the call and I'm just like, I can't believe it. And I still couldn't believe it when I was shooting on the beach. I was like, oh my goodness. It wasn't until I opened the magazine, I thought how impactful that was, you know, because a lot of girls that are trying to break out in the modeling industry are seeing like the first indigenous to do this or first indigenous to do that. It makes me feel good. Cause I know like, won't be the last, you know, mm-hmm. there's going to be another girl. That's going to walk into that space. And that makes me feel good, you know, mm-hmm. trying to have that proper representation, you know, and it's powerful. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when 
I mean, I don't remember well, but I do remember hearing about the first Indigenous woman to win Miss Canada. And it, I was like, what? <laughs> In my mind, I was like, how is that not, how is this, it's 2010, how is this the first one to ever, like, they were here thousands of years before <laughs> my family was, no. how, like they are, uh, it was, anyway, um, yeah, so anyway, it, it's still wacky to me. Um, and I remember, ooh, I don't know how long this was ago, you know the Colton Bushy trial? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, again, I thought, you know, we're as people were progressing and then you went online and on Facebook and stuff and the comments, the insane racist comments just openly. Yeah. It was, I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, are we, are we making Canada great again here? What is happening? Like, yeah. It is crazy. A lot of news outlets when they post, about native stories or indigenous people they'll have to turn the comments off or limit them because of how racist people are and i never see that happening on a story of you know a young caucasian person or any caucasian person you never have to limit the comments but for us it's just it's what people do they love to hate it's bizarre to me that it's 2022 i don't know um again it's it's uh you know, this isn't over. This isn't, you know, there is still racism rampant. I think it's just maybe hidden more or something. Well, like, I feel like racism is, for Indigenous people, it's very visible online, for sure. There's a lot of lateral violence. And plus, people are real keyboard warriors. They could say whatever they want without, you know, dealing with them saying face-to-face, right? It's very cowardly, but in person for indigenous people like we feel it we see it and it yeah. sucks yeah you know what actually sorry i don't want to make this about me again no but go I'm ahead curi- i'm curious <laughs> i'm curious on your thoughts about this um so it was about 10 years ago i had a suicide attempt i've i've been in psych wards and all types of stuff i'm feeling really good now but anyway <laughs> um uh, there was a few rcmp officers came into my house and um, you know, kind of, we uh, shit hit the fan, I'll say. And at one point I tried to even grab one of the cops guns. Uh, and, and what ended up happening was they ended up, um, you know, cuffing me and stuff and taking me to the hospital and I got help and, uh, you know, it all, it all went really smooth and well about two years, about a year after that, the police officer that was there, uh, in my house um, there was, it was all over the news that he was making racist comments about indigenous people. And I, I froze. Like when I was reading this, I was like, what? Like, this is the guy that cuffed me and was, took me to the hospital. I thought, I wonder if I was, if I was indigenous, would he have cuffed me and taken me to the hospital or would I have been charged with attempted murder, uh, resisting arrest, would I have gone to jail? Would, you know, like what? What treatment would I have got? Or if you were an Indigenous man, they would have taken you on what they call a starlight tour and would have left you out somewhere. That's also possible. Yeah. I, um, yeah, for those of you who don't know, um, uh, Ashley is, we're not live or anything. But <laughs> <laughs> Ashley, <laughs> Ashley grew up in Saskatoon, or sorry, she lives in Saskatoon. And Saskatoon, it, was it in the 90s, was notorious for the city police taking Indigenous men out of the city, dropping them off as a, a punishment or whatever. I think that still happens. No. Yeah. And I minus 30? It's, it's not just like our women or Indigenous women that are going missing. It's also our men. They're also being murdered too. So, you know, a lot of people put emphasis on MMIW. Um, but it's also the men too, you know, our people are really targeted and it's, it's brutal just because they see us as less than like our lives are disposable. And that's why it's scary, you know, to just be who you are. And it shouldn't have to be that way, especially in a country that is so welcoming of, um, you know, foreigners. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we're the first peoples of this country, but we're always, you know, always put on the back burner we're always considered last and it's a constant battle it's a constant fight like 
having to fight for your rights, um, fight for what you believe in, fight for your people. It's you're basically fighting for like human rights, you know, like, yeah. for example, not having access to clean water. That just boggles my mind that that still hasn't been fixed or hasn't even there was no like real dents that the government has made in order to like bring a real resolution to it or actually bring like real progress. So yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy to hear when your own government says, we're going to do this for you. We're going to help you. We care about you years and years later, a lot of broken promises and still I'm like, our people are still in the same place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, Sorry, I just wanted to finish that. A lot of these men that they dropped off out of the city was with like minus 30 degrees and a lot of them ended up being found years later or months later, or weeks later, um, dead. And and I, and, if, and I believe there was a, a few of the police were on trial. And again, it was like a slap on the wrist, I believe. I don't think anybody was put away for manslaughter or anything like that. But anyway, um, do you get... Do you ever get some pushback from your own culture for your success? Um, you know, I feel like lateral violence is present in, in the Indigenous community as well. There are some instances where, you know, there's that jealousy factor, right? It's almost like, oh, she's successful. Look what she went and did. She's too good for us now. That's mm. also a thing that some Indigenous people will do. And it's almost like, why couldn't it have been me? You know, like we're all coming from these, I guess some of us are coming from hard places and you wonder, you know, why couldn't it have been me? So there is that jealousy. That's probably the only time I really experience um, anything kind of negative is like when it's jealousy. But for me, I I just try to bring as many people along on my journey as I can. You know, when I get an opportunity, I try to create more opportunities out of that for other people. So I try to do as much as I can. But Obviously, there's always going to be critics or people that aren't happy with how you live your life or they say, you know, there's some people that are happy about Sports Illustrated, some that aren't. And, you know, it's understandable. People have their beliefs, but I'm not going to live my life according to someone else's beliefs. And I realized that in my journey, I can't make everyone happy, but I can make me happy. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Uh, So growing up the way you grew up and living in the society we do, especially in the, in the prairies. Um, I, I guess it's really easy just to walk around mad, you know what I mean? Like angry at the world. Um, well, how did you, cause I, I do see some people like that. Um, doesn't matter what culture you are, if, if you're a minority or, or even uh, female or whatever. Um, how did you not let anger just eat you up instead? Was it through your culture and through sweats and, ceremony sometimes anger can come out in different ways sometimes if i suppressed anger when i was a kid it could come out later with me crying or yelling you know it can come out in different ways i just think it's so important not to suppress it um that's one thing i learned over time because i would have anger issues or whatnot if i was dealing with something really hard in my life or you know people don't know um i remember i started joining kickboxing because of that, because I don't want to punch people <laughs> or hurt anybody. <laughs> I'm like, but I need to get it out in a healthy way. And my ways of like getting out anger would honestly be running, working out, or kickboxing because my mind is clearing. I'm not thinking about anything else. After a good sweat, my body feels better. I feel better in my mind. And then I realize, you know, let it go. Let it go. Like even in, I dance ballet and that's, that's a workout. <laughs> that's like exhausting. I've been in class, I'm like, <gasps> my feet are killing me, but <laughs> I'm not thinking of everything that got me mad. And when, even when I'm working out, I'm working out harder because of that. And for me, that's how I really let it out in a healthy way. Cause when I was younger, you know, even in high school, I, I had a lot of anger, you know, even healing with everything I was dealing with, but I lost my grandmother my last year of high school. And I also um, lost my sister right after that. So yeah, there was a lot of anger and there was, you know, things where I wanted to do something or turn to something negative, but I realized that if I did those things, I wouldn't be walking on a good path. And then I noticed 
especially in high school and university, you are who you hang with. There was people that were angry that had things that they wanted to do. There was people that didn't want me to rise or people I noticed a lot want to just live in the moment and have fun now, worry about it later. But I was the type of person that's like, no, I'm thinking about who I'm going to be in five years. <laughs> so um, I had to realize I can't let anger get the best of me. I had to release it in different ways. And a lot of that was kickboxing and punching bags and working out and especially running on the treadmill or even running outside with my dog because he's very pleasant to look at. He brings <laughs> me so much joy. But I'm also running and like my mind clears. And I'm like, okay, nothing else. You know, I can't be mad about things I can't control or things that haven't happened yet. That's something I learned from my husband. You know, if I'm ever stressed, I'm glad he like tells me these things and kind of brings me back down to earth. He's like, hey, you can't be mad or be upset about things that, you know, you can't control or that haven't happened yet. Like, serenity prayer. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, my husband, um, he's actually two years sober. So oh, he's nice. on this journey and it it's honestly so crazy to see how much has changed for him in such a positive way. Like good things happen when you walk this road, like hundred percent believe that mm -hmm. I've seen that for my friends, for my family. And now I see it with him and like, not only has he blossomed as like a human being, but he's blossoming in his career and everything else that he does. So I feel like you could also understand and attest to that as well. The, the good things that can come from this, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's definitely been a, a journey. So talking about anger, like, you know, I let my anger out by drinking and using and stuff. And, yeah. um, yeah, well, yeah, it's just so healing getting sober and, uh, not just not drinking, but getting sober and like working yeah. on why you wanted to drink and stuff. And, um, it, it was, your, is your husband a professional hockey player or was? Yeah, he was, he's retired now and he's now a coach in the WHL. He coaches the Saskatoon Blades. So that's oh, why okay. we're here in Saskatoon. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I he thought actually I had used read to that. play for the Blades when he was in the WHL and he was the captain there. So it's like really nice for us to kind of come back to one of his big homes. So it's like a full circle moment from captain to coach. It's pretty cool. <laughs> Did he play in the NHL or? Did he get that he got drafted by Boston Bruins. He never got to play in the NHL. So hopefully he'll be coaching in the NHL, but he played in the AHL. He played all over Europe. He's literally lived and played everywhere. It's been nice to like be traveling the world with him too. <laughs> <laughs> so when you guys are, are somewhere else on earth, uh, do you still get followed? Do you still see um, racism towards indigenous people or do they just assume you're... <laughs> Because you know how people are like, oh, they're Latino, they're Middle Eastern or something, you know, they don't even realize. Um, in the States, yeah, I experienced racism too. I mean, it's, yeah. hmm. when I lived in Florida with my husband, we'd see Confederate flags everywhere. And that was just like, wow. <laughs> so um, racism, yeah, is alive and well everywhere. But I experience things differently. Like, say if I go on a vacation to Mexico. I'm mm -hmm. not going to be treated bad there. Everyone thinks I am from Mexico or I'm local. You know, I'm not going to get treated bad where people think I'm I'm from there. And that's almost like a comforting healing. You know what I mean? And it, and it sucks that that's what it takes. It's like, hey, I got to look like you guys to be treated good. <laughs> so it's like in Canada, I'm like, oh, I got to look white. <laughs> like maybe people treat me like a queen. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, but I've said that to my husband before. I'm like, you know how much easier my life would have been if I was born white? Like, it's, it is crazy. I'm like, I wouldn't have all these, like, disadvantages or this treatment. And But, yeah, mm -hmm. times got to change. Things got to change. People got to change. But you, you made it anyway. Like, I mean, yeah. you know what I mean? It was a fight. It was a battle, but I, I made it happen for myself. Yeah. It'd be interesting if, if you did grow up in a white family, where you'd be. Would you be? I probably wouldn't be as um, determined <laughs> like to, to really like make this happen for myself because so many things were put out of reach. And so many people told me like, nope, can't get it. And I probably wouldn't have gotten that treatment as a Caucasian woman. People probably would have treated me better. Probably would have had friends easier. 
You I wonder know? if you'd be as successful though, like you said, because it does come so Probably much not. easier. <laughs> yeah, you take advantage for, of it and then it's like, uh. For sure. If I would have had like the advantages and being able to, I guess, have different access to things and not have to worry about things, I probably would have been spoiled. I feel like, you know, I probably wouldn't have um, been as humble. I wouldn't, um, I probably would have taken life for granted, I feel like, because now, you know, coming from nothing and having nothing, I'm so thankful every time that I wake up because, you know, it's another day to really live my life and thank God that I'm still here. I'll thank creator that I'm still here. And I think that I would have had a different mindset. I wouldn't be the strong individual that I am now. And I think having to grow up fast really um, made me super, I guess, determined and like strong willed and going through obstacles and like adversities like that. And even the things that I go through now, it, really kind of like shapes you as a person like you you grow from it and you learn from these experiences and because of that like I can really take on anything anything that anyone says or if something's thrown at me I'm like I'm ready I'm like I've been through hell I've been through it all I'm like nothing can break me hmm. but I yeah. wouldn't have that mindset as a uh, Caucasian girl if I'd be like oh the world's going to cater to me today. <laughs> you know, like, that's probably the mentality I would have. I'd probably be like a cheerleader or something, but that's just me being like stereotypical. Yeah. Maybe I could have been successful, but I feel like with the drive I have now from, you know, having nothing to working hard for everything that I have now, that's what made me who I am. And mm -hmm. the circumstances that I grew up in. Yeah. I feel like that's definitely a, uh, shape me into the woman that I am. Mm -hmm. And I can hear people already saying, you know, I'm white and I had rough childhood and stuff. And that, yeah. that's true. But, but, you know, I, I'm like, a firm, I'm, I, I'm a firm believer that the system is, I mean, there is white privilege when it comes to the system and racism yeah. and like, I don't, I could be, I could have the exact same childhood as you, except without all the racism and stuff, which yeah. just makes it and harder. Everyone can have, that similar childhood we all can come from you know terrible backgrounds and places but it's just with indigenous people this system that was created for us was created to kill us and destroy us and this system is still there so we're fighting a system that was never created for us to begin with so regardless of um you know if we came from similar situations we're still moved and planted on these reserves that we were put on we still don't have the same access everyone has we don't have the same resources we don't have the same support and because of what the government has done to us we're, we were broken people and it was up to us to heal ourselves um i feel like caucasian people never had a really a, no one tried to steal our culture you know what i mean and you know i feel like no one tried to break them from who they were it like you think about it, I'm like, it would be like indigenous people leaving Canada, Canada to go over to Europe. And what if we did that? You know, how bad does that sound? Like killing and raping your women, taking things, bringing disease, and then saying, hey, this is ours now. I'll be like, oh, and we got to civilize you guys because you're wild. It could... That's like, if you explain that to someone who's not indigenous and they're like, that's so bad if that ever would have happened. I'm like, well, that's how this country was formed. Mm -hmm. So don't tell us to let it go. <laughs> <laughs> or get over it. Or... Yeah. It's like, get over it already. And I'm just like. Yeah. I always <laughs> find it funny too. And they're like, well, in the whatever year, you know, the government handed out this much money. It was like. Money didn't exist, which, you know, that's a foreign, you know, concept to indigenous people a hundred years ago or 200 years ago. And I was like, here, here's something we use. Here's, you know, it's like, uh, but yeah. Um, and, and again, like, I, I know that like there is, okay. So I think I've said this in another podcast when I was talking to a, a friend of mine, indigenous friend of mine, but I'll say it again because I feel like it. So in my family, there is generational trauma, you know, like World War II was not easy for my family, but I feel like that's like an acute generational trauma, whereas 
growing up indigenous, it's like chronic because it it just it happened for two hundred years as opposed to a five year stint, and you know, and it affected every part of your life, not just you know PTSD or shell shock or whatever. Or I mean, it, it completely affected your culture. Like World War Two didn't affect my culture. Like I don't have cultural issues, right? Like anyway. That's just yeah. an observation. <laughs> uh, like, I totally get that, though. It's like, this is super cultural. Like, it, it's just cultural genocide. You know, imagine someone tried to destroy your culture, rip apart who you are. You can't, you know, like hearing, I guess, hearing it from my grandparents of like what happened to them in residential school. Um, my grandpa, my mushroom, he doesn't like to talk about it. it. It was really bad, but he's got permanent scars for the rest of his life on his body because he spoke his language. He has burn marks everywhere. Um, they threw hot boiling water on him because he spoke his language. So that's just one of the things that happened to him. And he won't talk about anything else, but a lot of bad things happen. And same with like my grandmother. So yeah, that um, can really change a person, but I feel like I got really lucky with the grandparents that I have because they um like I'm not saying that they were fine when they left residential school they were not my grandpa he did turn to drinking and I he turned his life around and went on the red road when he woke up in a ditch one day and didn't know what was happening him and my cook um they both you know made it like their life's work to really kind of make culture their priority and always give space to people that want to come and get help. Like our sweat lodge, mm. the ceremonies, anyone can come to my grandpa's house. We always welcome people with open arms or coming for help. And that's like what I learned from them is to, you know, always have like your heart open for someone. And, you know, there's this, um, it's like a positive ripple effect. You know, you never know if you're helping one person, you never know who they're going to help or how it's helping them. It could be something even bigger. So that's why it's always just, you know, to show people kindness, regardless of, you know, treatment. Like if I'm being followed, I'll still smile at people and be nice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just because you never know what someone might be going through. Maybe they're just going through something terrible or they're having a really awful day. Mm -hmm. They're not actually being mean to you, but you never know. So that's why I'm always just kind regardless was your grandpa and, and grandma were they open to other cultures coming and experiencing their culture like was the yeah uh, the sweats so, was open to anyone that was interested you know my grandparents um because a lot of people and people that are non-indigenous they think because of um residential schools that were we don't like caucasian people or we mm -hmm. completely separate ourselves and i feel like non-indigenous people get nervous they're like oh well maybe we're not welcome maybe oh, it's rude to ask or be around and honestly indigenous people want you to ask we want you to ask questions we want you to feel like you want to be involved we're not like hey you can't come to this power you can't come to this and you know there were even people that were all different types of background that have come to the sweat mm -hmm. just for help you know learning our ways and my cook and my mushroom never said they couldn't come. Like we've had people stay there, like literally stay and sleep for days or bring their families. And um, my cook and was actually a foster parent. Um, I think it was just, she loved children so much. And after experiences, she wanted to just give more people chances at life. She raised over 26 foster children in her lifetime. What? She even got like, awards for it. But she also adopted um, her and my mushroom. They adopted two Caucasian boys. So it's um, they had never had any boys and they just had daughters. They lost a son, but they adopted and it has nothing to do with, you know, race. You can, it, love is love, you know, you love anyone. So it's a superpower. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, I'm not racist towards anybody. You know, I don't say, Hey, you're not good enough or whatever. I'm like, we're all the same on the inside, you know, like mm, we're all mm -hmm. just bone and muscle. I'm like, <laughs> wow. Yeah. You haven't seen my body. There's not much muscle. <laughs> <in it. laughs> I'm firmly muscle. I'm just kidding. No, but, um, <laughs> yeah. So it's just, 
I feel like people um, get nervous about that. So like, say if they're like, oh, I'm going to go to Come, learn, take part. We are not the type of people to push you away and be like, hey, what are you doing here? You well, know, yeah, I, I know. I think the media has a part in that because oh, they're like, yeah. "Oh, yeah, it's appropriation," or, or, or maybe like you know, it's always the empty can rattles the most. So it's like, yeah, yeah. Like there is cultural appropriation, but absolutely, it, yeah, it's not like at our powwows or anything when people come to partake. You know, it's like when people are doing things on their own. Like, say they're going to Coachella and they're wearing a headdress. Like exactly, yeah, right, yeah, but. Yeah. Obviously, the media takes a huge part in creating more drama, you know, creating more of like a, a divide because they need their ratings, right? They need their viewers, their readers. And I think people are just scared to even ask. And when people ask me, I'm like, no, come. The more, the merrier. The more you learn. And then you honestly have seen so many non-Indigenous people coming to more powwows. And you see how happy they are when they come into the powwow circle just to like be involved. And then they realize like, this is a safe place. Like you are welcome here, you know, don't, don't feel like you're not safe. <laughs> like we give you safe spaces, safe environments, and we want you to be involved and people come out and dance too. And it's, it's honestly so great to see. I was at a, a powwow in Calgary at the Saddle Dome and there was non-Indigenous people that were there. So many, obviously from the Stampede and they came down and they danced as well. So, and the Stampede has people from all over the world. So it was really beautiful to just, you know, see people just partake and not feel scared. It was like, yes, we're all one people. That makes sense. Plus, it's an excellent place to get a bannock taco. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> or my kitchen. I just made some India tacos Monday night, actually. There's a local lady that used to do it all the time, and she would take orders over Facebook, and it was like, <laughs> within like five minutes, it would like... Oh my god! Could, yeah. In Saskatoon? <laughs> no, in Indian Head here. Oh, I was gonna uh, say, yeah. oh, in Saskatoon. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so now I have to remember my question. Oh, I know. I was gonna say, um, I've been nothing but welcomed by um, Indigenous culture um, when I was just before I went into treatment for for my addictions and stuff. There's a a, a lady that worked for my my wife and she reached out and said like come come do a sweat um uh, and like that was amazing um another lady made my wife a star blanket because she appreciated how her she was a good boss i guess <laughs> you know and she really appreciated appreciated my wife and it's like yeah it's and before that i would i would have been nervous too it's like i don't i like i don't know is this am i there's like this, it's almost like an imaginary line that is like, do I cross this? And it's like, mm-hmm. we're all just, like you said, we're just, we're all just people. Now because people are really scared to offend anyone. And, you know, we're living in a very sensitive society now where more people are scared to try or partake. But for us as indigenous peoples, we've always been so welcoming. And we honestly, like, we feel honored when you like come and partake and learn and educate yourselves. We don't feel honored when you say you're trying to honor us by wearing our regalia, <laughs> like headdresses, as, you know, for fun or, you know, being Pocahontas for Halloween. That's not a way to honor us. <laughs> for right. us. Like if you want to do things the right way, you come and partake. And we love that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's amazing. Is there anything you wanted to add that I didn't ask? Well, I got a lot of things going on. Um, Yes, yes. Promote anything you you have. uh, I created my own jewelry collection just recently that Ashley Collingwell, the Shining Rock collection, which is after my Cree name. And um, there was three collections, actually, the Ashley and also the Orange Sparkle Ball and the Every Child Matters. And that was with Hilberg and Burke. And I think the most important thing about that for me was that with these collections, I... um, made sure that the proceeds from them went back to the Native Women's Association of Canada just to create more programs for other Indigenous women. So that was really exciting. That was my first jewelry collection ever. I've never like created or been, um, I guess, uh, 
I'm not very crafty. So like me <laughs> creating my own jewelry line, coming up with designs, colors, and the meaning of everything that meant a lot to me and to know that it did really well. And we had to restock and it raised so much money for this organization that that felt really good. So that was like a really good thing for me. Um, I also filmed a movie called Great Salish Heist. And that probably won't come out until later this year or next year. It's in post-production. I'm also writing my first book. Mm. I signed my first book deal with HarperCollins. And that's really major. I didn't realize how major it was until I went to the office and I walked in. And it was like HarperCollins, top <laughs> floor. And then they had my thing on the TV. Welcome, Ashley Collingwell. I was like, holy oh, shit. <laughs> <And they> were- <laughs> I was like, I'm like a real, you know, author. <laughs> Not yet, but walk into the room and they're like, this is your whole team for your book. I was like, I'm legit going to be Carrie Bradshaw. I was like, but not running around the city in heels. Like, I have my own book. <laughs> go on book tours. So that's really exciting. And um, it's actually an autobiography on my life. And um, sharing things that probably people haven't even heard as well. You know, like people know a part of my story from the media or what I've shared, but I haven't shared everything. And I, I really want to be technically an open book. Like I want people to hear about, you know, the things I was battling as well while I was having this success, you know, because everyone thinks everything's so perfect. And, you know, what you see on social media is just technically a highlight reel. And for me, I want to be really transparent and real and share with people how I did overcome certain situations because a lot of us are so similar. It doesn't matter if it doesn't have to be the same situation, but just how to really overcome adversity and how I find my strength and how I found my power and my voice. So that is really exciting. That comes out in 2024 and I got a busy year ahead of me already. Um, Back into sports, doing sports hosting. I'm also going to be hosting for the Canucks on March 2nd as well. So I'm posing for the Canucks, the Oilers, the Elks, the Saskatchewan Rush. And I'm trying to think what else I'm doing this year. And I'm traveling a lot again. I'll be going to different film festivals. I'm going to Cannes Film Festival. That's my first like time ever going to Cannes. So there's a lot of first things happening for me this year and I'm like pumped. So it's uh, exciting times. <laughs> Can I be part of your entourage? Like my sister's already there. Ah. <laughs> my sister, my bestie, just people <laughs> that will always be with me. Awesome. Uh, well, maybe you'd come on the podcast again once your book's out and we can yeah. I'll read the book and we can have a discussion about it. Yes, 100%. I would love that. If you're not, you know, too big by then to talk to little me. Hey, you can never get too big. <laughs> never forget where you come from. Like, don't forget the little people. I'm like, you're not a little person. I'm like, you got your shit going. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe I'll be too big for you by then. Yeah, I'm like, you you might be too good. Like for me, I'm like, hey, remember me, Ashley? We had this conversation. No, I'm not gonna open this chat to talk. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, <hell. laughs> when they get stopped in the grocery stores. <laughs> ah. <laughs> Yeah, maybe they're stalkers. Maybe they're not. (laughs) Hey, there's Miss Universe. Let's follow her around. You know, my husband once said that. He was like, are you sure you just didn't look pretty one day? I was like, I swear to God, (laughs) it's not the case today. I was like, they made sure I brought my items to the front of the store. Oh, no. Oh, man. I don't know how you laugh about that. I'd be furious. I see. I'd be the mad guy. I'd be the, I would. I laugh because in my mind, I'm really not going to steal. So I'm not going to be arrested for anything. These people just look crazy. (laughs) I get a good kick out of it. I make make it a good joke, especially if they're really following me. Try to make a little run in the grocery store. Make them look dumb. Thank you so much, Ashley. You are talented and lovely and charming and beautiful. And I'm so excited for your upcoming projects. And uh, I just wish you all the best. And, and I look forward to speaking with you again in the future. Once your book comes out, we can we can talk about that. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's amazing. Please, everyone, feel free to follow me on social media. Instagram's kind of my main social media account. Uh, it is Bunny Hugs Podcast on Instagram. I'm on Facebook quite a bit too, uh, Bunny Hugs and Mental Health. 
and on TikTok a little bit. Uh, that is Bunny Hugs Podcast as well. Um, there's always memes and conversations and videos and guests, upcoming guests and past guests and and uh, yeah, just a bunch of cool stuff. So uh, follow me there. In fact, a lovely lady named Candace follows me there. Uh, she she just kind of discovered the podcast and she left a comment. Uh, says, I have stumbled upon a podcast by a local man, Todd Rennebaum. Apparently Candace is local. Anyway, and I suggest you go listen. He also wrote a children's book, Sometimes Daddy Cries. If you remember Kai Ball's story, there is a podcast with Wanda and Chris. And make sure you have tissues. As a mom who was in the midst of trying to get proper help for my own child when Kai's story came out, they truly lived every parent's worst fear. Go listen to this podcast and be prepared for some big feelings. Thank you so much, Candice. She is referencing episode 22, uh, where I speak with Wanda and Chris Ball uh, about their son that they lost. His name is Kai, and he took his own life uh, a few years back. They are they are actually also uh, local people. So, uh, so thank you, Candice. Please feel free to leave comments and concerns and stuff like that too. Uh, or if you just want to start conversations, that's awesome too. And and maybe I'll, I'll read it on, on air. Don't forget, next week I'm speaking with stand-up comedian Big Daddy Taz live. And the week after that, I'm speaking with a lady named Jane. I can't remember her last name right now, but she is talking about maladaptive daydreaming. And please remember to make your beds and take your meds. Bye. <laughs>